0: Boom. Thank you very much. <laughs> Amen. And to the announcement video. Woo! Crazy guys, never know what's going to happen. Well, youth, you are going out. So, whoever you follow, follow them. They're leading you somewhere, taking you out for a good time in the Word, etc., Well, happy summer as we move forward into June. How many like summer so far? Eh. It's always a a challenge, church, in the summer, only because people sleep in even later. You did good to sort of fill in this morning. We were really, really concerned. We thought we should just move in the little theater about 10 o'clock, or should we just cash it in and go to breakfast? We weren't sure, but everybody came. Summer's a little uh, lazier, but thank you for remembering us. Coming when you can, and uh, supporting all that you do, we thank you. You know, I I do have a, a couple other announcements I want to go share, but I just um, Shane, we haven't talked much, but I I just during worship I've just felt God had something for you. Um, I just see this whole thing like a whole new chapter unfolding in your life, and and it's like when John was talking about Old Testament, New Testament, it's like. It's like I just see that there's like a demarcation that you're in a whole new chapter and and understanding revelation um, that you you've just it's like the New Testament in compared to the old old things have passed away behold all things are becoming new and there's this blossoming that God's doing on the inside and a, an expression that he's bringing out but you are a new man and uh, we, we uh I look forward to talking to you more we I, I, we met some time ago, but it was just in glancing over at worship, I heard this Holy Spirit say that just to encourage you by the Spirit. But how many know if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, old things pass away, God's got new things for us. And, and a lot of times life can be like that, like B.C., before Christ, A.D., after, and uh, many of us are experiencing that. So we're going to talk today again about, a take his yoke, but so I do not forget this, Um, After last week, there was some connection comments, like the idea of being yoked, just with Jesus, but also with each other, and so that started a question about what can we do to increase connections, and um, we feel like as leadership that we're pretty empowering. Rarely has there ever been an idea that somebody's presented that we said, well, if you can run with it, go for it. Like, we, we feel like that. That we, we want to be empowering. We try to help coordinate venue, time, announcements. But there's, as summer is a good time for planning and thinking ahead. Because in the church world, spring, or excuse me, fall is really the relaunching time. Families are back. Families are settled. Kids are back in school. And so you kind of plan during the summer for what is to happen in the fall. So we're going to have what just called it brainstorming connections. And people who have ideas, who you're you're good organizationally, or you've attended the church for a while and you thought, I wonder if they would ever consider this, or I wonder about that. Well, we want to pull those guys together, you together, because that's what it says here on the top. It says, first time, Wednesday, June 20th, 7 to 9 p.m., where, to be determined... Depending on who signs up, we'll have it at our house. Or, and then who? It's you. That's the who. It's the when or where and when. When is Wednesday, June 20th? Where to be determined? The who is you. So, again, 7 to 9 o'clock on Wednesday, June 20th. That'll be our first yeah, time. Right? PM. Yep, yep, PM. That's, that's good. What's that? Any, somebody else? So, You can sign up at the Red 10 if you're interested in just being part of the brainstorming, because we feel like that, um, like I said, in fall, we want to launch. We want to do as good as we can about helping people connect in all kinds of different ways. And uh, so we're looking for input and creativity. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. There we go. Amen. And Family Beach Day coming up, too. There's a sign up for that. We're trying to plan food, as they mentioned in the video. Okay, so how many watched the uh, Triple Crown race yesterday? Oh, come on. Well, just because you didn't, you get to watch highlights. Yes, folks, we're going to watch a race, a horse race in church right now. (laughs) Coming right up with sound, I hope. And we are set 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 for the 150th Belmont Belmont Stakes. And here with the call, call. Larry Larry Colmes. Justify in stall one, will he take his place in history as Blended Citizen goes in... They're on the line, we are ready for a start. They're off in the 150th Belmont Stakes. And it was a very good beginning for Justify, who goes immediately to the early lead in the race to the first turn. So it will be Justify to set the pace here, and there on the outside goes restoring hope, the other Bob Baffert trainee, who's wide into that turn, and in running in second position. he's just perfect, and now, he's just immortal! told Jesus us that, you had, that you had probably been riding horses, horses even before you could walk. So, so, how long have you been dreaming been about a moment, moment like this? First and foremost, I thank my I Lord and Savior Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ for blessing me on this wonderful, wonderful day. day. We're all so We're all blessed, blessed. We, made we made it back made safe. safe. This, horse this horse ran a horse tremendous, tremendous race, race. He's, he's so, so gifted. He's sent from it's heaven, heaven. I tell you, it's just it's amazing. amazing. I, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't I can't describe the emotions, emotions. that's going through it's my body, body right now. I'd like, to, like say to say one thing in, thing, in the midst of all this, this. all the disabled, all the disabled riders, riders I dedicate this to, this to you, this and, Martin and Martin St. 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 Julian, get, get, get better, brother, get brother. we're praying, we're praying for, you. for you. Mike, a couple, Mike, a couple of months couple ago, you told me that when you were inducted into the Racing Hall of Fame in 2003, you didn't feel like you had accomplished enough yet to belong. Do you feel like you belong now? I've been so blessed. Yeah, I belong now. What's, what's. I think so, amen. Come on, what a champ. You know, you, you always get to see football players, baseball players, basketball players say that after a championship. I just want to thank my Lord and Savior. It's about time we have a jockey step up, amen, in the horse racing world. So we'll, we'll get back to him a little later. But uh, we're talking again about take my yoke upon you, number two. And as always, before we actually go to the Word, I like to just take a moment and pray into that. And just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help us right now. So, Holy Spirit, we welcome you again. We know you've been here by the presence of God. We know you've been here as we've worshipped. But we invite you as a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. We thank you that you would touch hearts and touch minds. That we can hear you in our own language and that you would do something in every heart. That you are also the creative power, God. I thank you that you do something creative in hearts and minds today. And helping, as we talked about connecting with with each other, the main thing is that we would connect with our Father. We'd connect with our Lord Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit. That's why you were sent. That's your mission. We welcome your ministry here. In Jesus' name, thank you for the anointing and the right words to say, to teach and to preach this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Awesome. So this was the scripture we were building off of, Matthew 11. An, An amazing invitation the Lord made to those who were around him at that point in time and extended to us in this day that we live. He says, come to me, all you who labor... And are heavy laden, and i 'll give you rest. take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me for I 'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you 'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and amazing that 's the, the promise that uh, should be appealing to most of us in the manner of life that we, we find ourselves, that Jesus offered somebody. Something to us who are labor-intensive and heavy-laden. How many can relate to that sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. And he offered us rest. He said, to get that rest, you have to take my yoke upon you. And the key was learning from him. For he said that he was gentle and lowly in heart. And he's offering rest for our souls. So we broke that down last week. We looked at different aspects of that. um, Noting that officially the definition of yoke is this. Stable gear that joins two draft animals at the neck so they can work together as a team, i.e. these two characters right here. But as beautiful as that yoke is, how many can relate to this sometimes, right? right? (laughs) Especially if you think about being yoked to the Lord, is that how many now and then just feel like laying down and saying, I don't want to do this anymore, and uh, we need to be, I love that little kid in the back, just going... (laughs) It looks like maybe because the the the, uh, cart is empty that maybe they're just taking a break. But he did promise an easy yoke. But anyway, that's just a picture sometimes of versus this of being you know standing side by side, same height, just two beautiful animals with a cool looking yoke. To that, that that's probably the more realistic picture right there. Amen. But one of my favorite scriptures is where there are where no oxen are, the stall is clean. But much increases by the strength of an ox. You know, that, the whole thing of connecting and being side by side and being yoked, and last week you we watched that little video clip, and, you know, that I had never realized until like, revisiting it and watching several clips as they train two animals to pull together, how much work that was. Like that, how intentional you have to be to actually develop a team of ox. And then to think about, just not just two, but oftentimes they're in fours, Sometimes it's sixes and eights. And this story in Kings just caught my attention because, you know, when you're, you're doing messages and you're trying to get insight and you're praying, you can just go into your study, uh, your, your computer study uh, program, and you just put the word ox or oxen or any word or combination of words and search it, and it just pulls up every example that those word or words appear in the Bible together. And so looking at ox or team of ox, And just I noted this that when Elijah was in his ministry and he was about to pass it on to Elisha, how he connected with Elisha—he came by Elisha, and Elisha was plowing with twelve oxen, and he was standing by the twelfth. Now, first pass—that mightn't be nothing, (laughs) but if you think about the only reason somebody's plowing with twelve oxen is they're going deep. Amen. It's hard soil. And they've developed something that can rip new ground. And you think about, as, as I have other times, like, why did God pick Abraham? Why did God pick Joseph? And what, you know, these sovereign selections of God. When you read the de- descriptions around them, it just catches your attention sometimes. I think about it's perfect for a prophetic ministry. Everything that Elijah had to accomplish and all the opposition that he faced in life. He probably thought, the guy that I should pick is a guy that can plow with 12 oxen, right? And it said that he was standing by the 12th. In other words, he was getting dirty too. He was part of the guiding of the 12 oxen. He was in the field with them, watching them rip the ground and and guiding them so that they could accomplish that. I think that there is something reflective about character or determination in that that probably was why Elijah highlighted Elisha to be called out. But it's, it, it requires labor. If you're after just having a clean barn or clean stall, don't have livestock, amen? But in the olden days or in the prairie days, if you were planning to ever eat, you needed livestock because you had to plow, you had to develop a team, and, and you had to develop a coordination on that team so that they could actually make progress when, once you hooked them together. The second definition of a yoke is an oppressive power or burden... Imposed by a superior force over a weaker force. And a lot of times that, that uh, definition shows up in Scripture. There, in a lot of places the Old Testament talks about a yoke of oppression, a yoke of burden, a, a, a yoke of, uh, that somebody put over another, whether it's a country or the people of Israel or individuals. But it's the idea of oppression. And there's this time in Israel's history. This is after Solomon died. So we have King David, highly favored of God, anointed so much in the scriptures, connected to David and his rule and his heart towards God. There's so much connected to him. He has a son Solomon, there's some things connected to him, but now as his ancestry begins to pass, we come to this place in Israel's history. It's in 1 Kings, it said, Then Jeroboam, who's the leader of the northern tribes, and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Who was the, the son of Solomon, saying, Your father, now this is reference to Solomon. This is a side of Solomon that you don't really see anywhere else in Scripture. But this is their claim about him. He said, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore, lighten the burdensome service of your father and his heavy yoke which he put on us, and we'll serve you. And the elders spoke to Rehoboam, saying, So now the elders come to Rehoboam. Jeroboam made this offer saying, we want to be reunited as Israel. We'll bring all the northern tribes, the ten tribes that have been separated, and we'll come and we'll serve underneath you. And so they put out the offer. So the elders are speaking to Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and saying, if you will be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice what the elders had given him and consulted the young man who'd grown up with him who stood before him. And now, he, now, now his response after receiving the counsel the, from those young men, he said this to the, the other guys who were making the offer. And now whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My fa- father chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scourges. Ouch. So he actually said, I'm going to increase the the yoke on you. And now when all Israel, the other ten tribes, saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. It's sort of interesting because when Jesus came... The elders advised him, said, hey, if you'll take on this model of servant leadership, if you will serve these people instead of reigning over them and ruling over them and putting a yoke of oppression so that all of their labor filters up to make you look higher and loftier and, and increase in possessions and wealth and stature, if you'll take a different posture, if you'll be seen as somebody who serves them, if you'll come underneath for their welfare, they will be your servants, and they will follow you for the rest of your life. But he got other advice, and he decided, no, this, it worked for my father, so it's going to work for me except double. And then they, you saw what happened. There was an opportunity in Israel's history to bring the whole country back together in unity. It was one missed opportunity, and they've never reunited since then. You read down, though, it was the will of God, so... You can't argue with that. There was some purpose of God being worked out, but it's still the point is true. And then when Jesus came, and this is what he modeled, he modeled servant leadership. He told his disciples, don't be like the Gentiles of the earth. Don't rule over each other, but support one another, serve one another, come up underneath one another. And that's still a principle that can put unity together in the kingdom. Amen? Amen create unity in an organization it can create unity in a corporation that the old school top down low tolerance high yoke is disappearing and you see this across history throughout history that nations only lasted as long as people would be able would be tolerant of oppression But when the the wealth began to divide and it was all about the prominence of the king and the kingdom and people began to suffer, there's always been an overthrow in every situation throughout history because the the style of leadership that God models that he, he gives wisdom to and instruction to is one that serves and builds up and it's for the best of the people, amen? That wasn't intended to be political, that was intended to be kingdom, but there's truth behind that. And the third definition, the rabbi's yoke, and we talked a lot about this last week, the interpretation of the Torah and the application of the Torah, which creates a way of life for the followers of the rabbi. The the term yoke, if you were rabbi, which was the style in Israel, that if you were going to learn anything about faith or religion or the Hebrew law, the Hebrew way, then your life was going to be organized around a rabbi. And that rabbi had a a perspective of interpretation, and the interpretation led uh, to the way of life that he created. In other words, if you're going to follow me, then this is what you're going to understand this scripture means, and this is the application, and they created what they called households. So the rabbi and all of his followers together, what that was, rela- was termed a household, and the, the, the manner in which he taught and interpreted scripture was his yoke. So there was a yoke over every household. And so that was the other definition, it was the way of life. Now what we looked at last week was the rabbi's style of teaching, like they would, they, there were 613 commandments that... Came out of the original ten plus others in Leviticus and all, but so he would he would take the commandment and he'd say this the commandment is stated like this, and then they did what the term said build a fence around it. Then there was another interpretation so that if you kept the the intensity of the fence you'd never violate the law. That was the whole purpose. And they say it goes back to uh, some Hebrew revelation in the garden where. God told Adam and Eve, you can't take of the fruit of the tree and eat it. But by the time the serpent showed up, Eve said, not only can we eat it, we can't touch it. And so that's the idea. The law was you can't eat it, but the fence was you can't even touch it. And so it was in rabbinical life that the fences became guardian around the commandment so that there was rules to the commandment, but there's also rules to the fences And it grew and grew and grew and became a very burdensome way of living and a a burdensome way of following. But we look at Jesus, and we saw this last week, and I'm only going to give a couple references by way of reminder that he sort of did the same thing. That he said, you've heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, there's the commandment. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court, so that's the commandment. But, But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. So part of that rabbi yoke was, here is the law, you'll not commit murder, but I'm telling you, you can't even be angry. Because if you're never angry, you'll never commit murder. So the fence expands the commandment even further out. Then he says this one, you shall not commit adultery as it says in the law, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ouch. So, the, what was the commandment? Thou shalt not commit adultery. What was the fence? You can't even look to lust. Because if you never look to lust, you'll never wind up committing adultery. Right? You get it? So, so it goes on, an eye for an eye. But I say, do not resist an evil person, but whatever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. And so we went on. We said, at the end of all of those places where Jesus is taking the standard and actually raising it higher, he summarizes it and he says this. Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And at that point, I felt like the ox that wanted to just lie down, right? It's like, you know, easy yoke. Remember, we're talking about a yoke that's easy and a burden that's light. And now we're talking about this idea of a yoke taking things to a higher level and taking them to a place where he said, because I want you as my followers of my household to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And Apostle Paul echoed this, do, don't, or Jesus said here, before we go to Paul, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill. And Paul said what that looks like is the righteous of the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, but he said this is how it works. Here's part of the yoke, that the righteous requirement of the law would be fulfilled, but fulfilled by walking in the spirit and not according to the flesh. He gave us some insight into that. So we looked and saw, but Jesus was one who lifted the standard, but he also never condemned the people. So when he came across a situation where somebody had violated the law, even though in his, let's say, rabbinical household, that standard was there, but it was even a higher standard, but he never condemned violators, that we found out that he he raised the standard, but he also lifted the people. Amen? Amen. And, and looking at numerous uh, encounters that the Lord had with people, and then his whole attitude towards sinners, that this idea of his yoke, it never became a critical yoke. It never became a, a yoke of self-righteousness, or my disciples have, uh, have acquired this certain lifestyle of holiness and righteousness way more than John's disciples or anybody else around us. So they, he, they never carried it in self-righteousness because he said, Part of my yoke is you have to learn of me. I'm lowly and meek. I'm not arrogant. I'm not proud. I don't go to the self-righteous thing. So when you look at the idea of Jesus and versus us, that when in his yoke, he, he would lead us to high standards of moral character and ethics. That There's no doubt about it. That Jesus, following Jesus, following the words of Jesus, that would lead you to high standards of moral character and ethics. But... In our yoking, he doesn't condemn us when we fall short. Amen? But he lifts us with encouragement. So success in moral and ethical living is never allowed to create self-righteousness exclusivism, that's what we found out in his, in his mantle, that it's come to me, all are welcome to come and link themselves or, or be yoked to the Lord, that he's not, he's not exclusive, as a matter of fact, we saw that last week, that when he threw out the invitation to follow him as a rabbi, he was throwing out the invitation to most guys that had been rejected by other rabbis, like his yoke is way more inclusive, it's, it's way more inviting, and so, because he's always gathering, Amen? So if this is the case, if Jesus is always lifting people, loving people, because someone asked me about this, then what is the issue about being unequally yoked with unbelievers? Because if you've been around Christian language any length of time, somebody at some point has thrown that out, and you've heard it several times. Maybe it's been directed at you different times. About do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Well, this is what that might look like. Um, but, but it's the idea of in, in anything of being able to, to pull together, and that would be an interesting team right there. But if we, if we broke it down and said being yoked to Jesus, would say, well, that means in any kind of yoking that you're putting two together that can head the same direction, amen? They're trying to accomplish the same things. They're... Depending, as we talked last week, depending on his ha- power to make up for our lack. Because in a, in a yoke situation, one of the animals is more trained, more mature, and becomes the lead animal. And the, the one that's being trained to come alongside, different times when it starts falling back, will lean on the strength of the mature animal to make this thing work. And when we're yoked to the Lord, we lean on his power all the time, making up for our lack. Based on his understanding of his uh, yoke he offered us, we're learning his pace, right? It's an easier pace. It's a slower pace. It's not a hectic pace. There's a rhythm to it and, and a style to it. But ultimately, the idea of being yoked to him and the idea of actually having a highly skilled team that are yoked properly is that they act as one. And we know that this was just one metaphor, but the the goal that's throughout the scriptures and throughout the writing is the ultimate goal that God has for our life is that we would become one with him. And so so with that being said, this is where this unequally yoked thing comes from. In 2 Corinthians 6, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? That's your question. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will, walk, I will live with them and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they'll be my people." Well, all of a sudden, you can now you can take the other side. We're saying, well, Jesus is is super tolerant. Jesus is super loving. He's super grace filled. He's inclusive. He encounters the woman caught in adultery, and he and they said, he we caught her in the very act. The law says that she should be stoned. What do you say? And uh, he didn't change the standard, but he lifted the woman. He he, he got her out of the mess by saying, he who's among you, who's without sin, cast the first stone. He wrote something convicting in the ground. He wrote something convicting a second time. From the oldest to the youngest, they dissipated. And she, he said, woman, where are your accusers? I don't accuse you either. So we saw that in his lifestyle. We saw what he and how he embraced sinners and and how it seemed like he was connected and he would eat with the wine-bibbers and the gluttons, it said. And so he, he had all of these uh, attributes of connecting with common people and connecting with sinners. Now, and Paul also, but now Paul writes this thing about being separate, about what agreement is there between believers and unbelievers. And, and if you're the temple of God, what, what connection is there with the temple of God and with idols? And so now all of a sudden, there's this language of separation. There's this language of, um, us, them. There's a language of, you know, God has called you for a particular purpose, and, and why would you be sacrificing it in these re- relationships that are unequally yoked with unbelievers? And the only way to really explain that is to look at these two things, the difference between mission and mandate. That when, when you talk about mission, Acts 10 God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. That was his mission. Tell the good news of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead spread the idea that God is a father, and the nature of a father is to love and to care and to heal and to raise up. And and Jesus said, I only do the things I see the father doing. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He came to manifest the love of God and show the world what a heavenly father looks like. But in response to that, there's a mandate. People responded differently then, and they respond differently now. You can manifest the loving nature of God. You can tell people how wonderful God is, how He cares for you, what He wants for your life, the purpose of His Word, the purpose of fellowship. You can unpack all of the things to say, this is the invitation from heaven, and this is what His intent is. But at the end of the day, at the end of a week, at the end of a life, people will either follow and connect, or they don't. And that isn't our business. And Jesus knew what his mission was. And he knew what he came to do and what he came to say. But then in John 17, right before he goes back to heaven, he prays this. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. All of a sudden, there's a distinction. But I pray for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So I know as a pastor, as a leader, as somebody who loves people, who loves the world in the in godly sense, that, and I care, but I know this, that in, in my connecting and my reaching out and my sharing and my witnessing and, and trying to model all that God is and wants to be to every kind of a person, that at the end of the day, I have also got, been called by God to become one with him. My ultimate destiny is to be connected in that mystical bride of Christ kind of thing that's spelled out in the book of Revelation. So I live out my Christianity on mission, but it comes to an underlying understanding that I've also been separated unto God for eternal purposes... And whatever messes I get involved with my mission, ultimately I have to keep them separate from the mandate that I have to become one with Jesus in the ultimate plan and purpose. Amen? And you can do those two together. Your calling, your your prayer life, your devotional life, how special God becomes to you, how wonderful God is in your life, and and all of that, it should never create in you a place of self-righteousness where you're too good for somebody else, ever ever. And that's where the breakdown's been. The separating unto God has created an us-them scenario and our religious practices and all of that about being one and right and, and all that happens in the holy of holies and the holy place between us and God. We pour that out on the court of the Gentiles and create this attitude of us-them, you're not welcome, you're not invited, you're not holy enough, you're not good enough. And, not, and that, that's the breakdown. But that's what God's changing. Yeah. Amen. That's what God's changing, because the yoke that he's offered us is an amazing invitation. But in this idea, mission mandate, and this is the concern that you have as a pastor leader, as a dad to your daughter, a dad to your sons, that this is the concern, this idea of being yoked to Jesus versus of yoked to unbelievers, is that when you're yoked to Jesus, we're heading the same direction, we're trying to accomplish the same things as he is in the Father. We're depending on his power to make up for our lack. We're learning his pace and rhythm and style for life, ultimately to become one with him. But yoked to unbelievers, this is what's the concern, is heading different directions. Being yoked to people who have a different mission. Being yoked depending on people who are depending on their own power and initiative. They're following the pace and rhythm of culture and social pressure and ultimately to become self-reliant and self-sufficient. See, that's the bottom of the difference is we're, we're on a path and being yoked to learn how to become one with him. Yoke to the world ultimately leads to this path of self-sufficiency and self-reliance. That's like the polar opposite. And we, we haven't spent a lot of time or history or anything defining hell or talking about hell or what hell is. And, and what, whatever it ultimately looks like, I can tell you that from my understanding of the scripture that hell is not full of sinners. It's hell full of pride, proud people. Yeah. Self-reliance. Self-willed. Could do it on their own. Never reached out and, and bowed their knee to the Lord. Like ultimately, this idea of worship, this ultimately this idea of the wheat and the tares, that at the end the, the, the tares stand straight up, at the end the wheat bow over. There's there's something in this idea of humbling yourself and accepting what Jesus offers and, and, and being conformed to that and just saying, You Lord, show me how to walk with you yoked. There's something about tapping into his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. I love the idea of being justified, amen. So, yoke to Jesus is about being in the world but not of the world. Yoke to believers, it's pressure to be in the world and of the world. And that's the difference. That he, he did, Father, I pray that you don't take them out of the world, but you keep them in the world. Right? You keep them in the world so that they can walk out mission, but the reason why you need to keep them is because there is a mandate over their life to ultimately become one with us and gather together in heaven for eternal purposes. So there's mission and mandate. Yeah. And so yoke to Jesus, you're light of the world with Him, and you're in the world but not of the world, but the, the danger or the pull to be yoked to unbelievers is their pressure not to just be in the world, to be of the world. Yeah. And so getting back to the original... I thing why I love this picture of Mike Smith is because you could say, what else could be more of the world than horse racing? <laughs> In one sense, not from his viewpoint, but from the standpoint of what runs that whole thing is gambling. When you walk the strips of Las Vegas and you go into those amazing buildings and facades and uh, phenomenal buffets and cheap hotel rooms, and, and you think, this is pretty cool. And it's super interesting to look at. It's, it's spectacular. But then most places when you walk in and you go down the escalator, you see thousands of people at slot machines. And you realize that the beauty of this is all built on the gambling and the debt and the habits and some of the addictions of people here. You begin to see it through that lens. That it, it kind of changes things for you. But, but here's a guy who loved Jesus. Here's a guy who worked his whole life at 52 years old, the, the oldest jockey to ever win the Triple Crown. Thirteen times in the history of 150 years, this event's happened. And, and he's not thinking about the gambling. He's not thinking about the, the, the of the world side of it. He's in the world, but not of the world. He's got a different fellowship going on. He followed the path that God, I'm assuming this, just because of the testimony of things said, it doesn't have a deep biography, but he followed the path that God had for him, and it was in the world, but his heart, I could tell you this, great, if you, you watch it, you saw this, but when they turned the corner after the, he won this, the, uh, he won it, and it was declared, you know, that he was the unofficial winner, there, there's another horse with a trainer that comes alongside to start slowing the horse down. And when, the, when he came around, he's trying to have conversation with him, but Mike Smith could only praise God. And he's, he's talking to God over and over with his hands raised, realizing the moment that only God could make it possible. And in that moment of time, he was not of the world and he wasn't in the world, Right? <laughs> That, and you know that place when you're giving glory to God, when something is worked out so supernatural, so miraculous, something you worked hard for, trained for, all of a sudden it happens. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the, the dream is realized, it said it's the tree of life, all of a sudden this explosive thankfulness that breaks out in your life because of something that God's done through you. Well, that, that, he had several moments like that. And he came back, and you just saw the interview where finally the lady from NBC put the microphone in his hands. But when they draped the carnation, uh, like a trophy over the horse, he took carnation petals and tore them up and threw them up and lifted his hands again to just celebrate God. He wasn't of the world. He wasn't even in the world. He was having his own party with God. Amen. And I love that. But it's the idea where you've been called to walk. Where, what has God unfolded? Where's your mission? And, and it's going to, you're going to interface people of all kinds of walks, and you're going to walk you know, all kinds of convictions, all kinds of belief systems. You're already, uh, some are in partnerships with people who aren't saved. Other people, there, there might be people in the room, or you're here and your spouse isn't, and you married somebody that's not a believer. And, and even though the advice of Scripture was, would be for the reasons mentioned, that that's not the wisest idea, but you can work it out through God's grace. You can. There, there. Is, you, you can. You can learn how to be connected to Him, yoked to Him, and giving life to those who are unbelievers. Yeah. Amen. Be- but there, because there, there is a time. We know the mandate. Ultimately, we're called it. Whether it's the rapture, He comes for His second coming. However, that all works out. I've changed my views through history and time, and been persuaded this way, and then persuaded that way. And this guy's got a better argument, and then. Jesus is supposed to come, and he didn't, and, you go, dang, and then he's supposed to come, and shoot. None. And so after a while, you just that all just kind of runs together, and this is what I know. He's coming back. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Probably in the clouds, whether it's the second coming or the rapture, it's, it's going to be one of those. It's going to be awesome, and he's coming back for us. Amen? The ones that he prayed for, and the ones that he said, God, let them be one, yeah. even as you and I are one. So we, we've got an awesome destiny in that, but in the meantime, we're on mission. Yeah. Amen? We're going to do like he did. We're not lowering standards, but we're lifting people. We're helping people. We're going to help people and, and try to explain this invitation to come and take my yoke. And there is rest in him. There is, there's relief for your soul. There's relief for this, the pressure that the world tries to change and morph us and conform us into somebody we're not. Amen? Amen. So lastly, let's just go through this quickly. Is this not the fast that I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring your house and you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover them, and you don't hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Come on. How many don't want to live in that state? Amen. Then you should call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here, am I, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, this is now he defines the yoke that's in the midst that's keeping this from breaking out. The pointing of the finger in malicious talk. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Come on. When it, bec- when it comes to other people, be a yoke breaker. Amen. Amen. Be a yoke breaker. That his burden will be taken away from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. Father, I pray that you put an anointing on us even stronger. That you would give us a double portion anointing to break yokes. Where there's oppression. Where there's lack of hope. Where people are stuck in chronic sickness, where they're stuck in chronic depression, chronic oppression. I thank you there is an anointing to break that yoke. And you promised that you would release that anointing. That there would be this uh, covenant life, this abundant life poured out on a people as described here in this chosen fast. When we began to look at people different, reach out, care, give, nurture. We would begin to do those things. If that's the fast you've chosen and you said the blessing that would be with it, we would be yoke breakers. And I thank you that we put away the pointing of the finger. We don't blame. We're not judging. We're not critical. The malicious talk, that word underlined is gossip. Father, thank you that you would remove that from our midst. (laughs) We would learn to just bless and encourage and love each other and support each other. I thank you for that and that you would command a blessing, you would pour out this lifestyle that you described of constant breaking forth, hearing your voice, following your voice, God, uh, our health springing forth speedily, being like a watered garden. We desire that for everyone that connects here, God, that they would experience that life and that abundant life. Thank you, you give us insight into that. So again, today, we thank you that you show us how to take your yoke, how to walk yoked with you, how to pull together with you, Jesus. Thank you that we can lean on your strength. Thank you that you've got the direction that you're leading for the plowing, (laughs) that our field will become a fruitful field, that you're leading us where the, the plow's supposed to cut. Thank you for your strength lifting us. Lord, I just pray for if there's anyone here who doesn't know you and today that you're offering your yoke, your relationship an invitation to come into your household to learn your ways we, we all have seen that in scripture that you've invited each of us personally and you said behold I stand at the door of your heart and knock if any man hears my voice and opens his heart to me he said, I, you said you would come in and you'd commune with them. So I pray if there's anyone here today, that Holy Spirit, that you would let them hear the knock. Let them feel the knock on their heart. And as we pray a prayer as a whole church, I thank you that there would be those that would pray this prayer for the first time today. And that they would make an invitation. And Lord, you'd come into them and you'd commune with them. They'd get to learn what it is to walk with you yoked in life. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, thank you for your promise, thank you for your invitation. I receive your invitation to open the door of my heart and to ask you to come in. I thank you, Jesus, that you did die for my sins. You paid the price, so my debt is paid. Holy Spirit, I invite you also. fill me. You make all this stuff real. I invite you to do that for me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.